The song of galaxies is reaching far beyond the Milky Way. Let's join in with the sound. Come on, let's sing it loud as the music of the universe plays. We're singing, You are holy. all sad this morning too that you didn't win the Powerball? <laughs> I am. I'm not going to lie. We're in church. I don't know why they trust me to talk, but <laughs> they do. Let's go ahead and welcome the people around us on this beautiful snowy day. You can uh, go ahead and have a seat. What's this about the Powerball? I'm really unhappy. It's clear that God did not want you to win the... That's a lot of Sunday donuts, though, isn't it? What was, like the, what was the number? 949? 949 million? Million. Yes. Yeah, yeah, see. No, no. If you won, you wouldn't be interested in the message today, so it's... <laughs> All worked out great. Hey, it's uh, great to have you here. A couple things before we uh, go to the offering. Uh, today at 2 o'clock is our annual business meeting. We have three business meetings a year, just really to inform the church on the latest of what's going on. Uh, at our annual meeting, we talk about uh, elders who are coming on our board and uh, get to meet them. We also talk about our 
uh, budget. And then next Sunday, we've been doing this the last few years. This is kind of the presentation day at two o'clock. Ne next Sunday, those of you who are members will have the opportunity to vote on everything that's on the ballot. So that's coming up. Also, uh, we have told you about this last week. Uh, this Saturday is our Master Your Money conference, and it starts at 8.30, goes to 4, and we'd love to have you there. It's going to be a great mix of some uh, big church sessions as well as many great workshops that are tailored to all sorts of stages of life, financial situations, and so forth. This isn't just about people, you know, what to do about retirement. This isn't just about couples, you know, starting off. It's, it covers everything, right? And so we'd love for you to join us. You can stop by the Adults Ministry Desk. They'll tell you more uh, about the conference, how you can register. We'd love to have you join us this Saturday, uh, right here at Hopewell. So if I could have the ushers come forward, we're going to continue to worship. And really, we, we say this every week, but we view everything we do as part of our service as an act of worship, including our giving, where we recognize that our God is the one who provides all that we have. And we just give back to him as an act of worship and as an act of gratitude. And so it's in that spirit that I'd like to pray as we continue in our worship. Let's pray together. Lord, even as we've engaged in worship through these songs that just expand our minds and our hearts for how great and how good and how wonderful you are. Uh, it's in that spirit that we wanna be ushered into your presence. We wanna meet with you because we need you. We love you and we wanna know you more. And so God, thank you for bringing us here safely. And we pray that you are knitting our hearts together by your Holy Spirit and that the songs we give, the one heart with one voice, are pleasing to you. And that, Lord, in that engagement, you are speaking to us. You are guiding us. You are leading us. You're encouraging us. You're challenging us. Whatever it is you have for us, we want to be open to that. And even now as we give, we just do this as an act of worship, Lord. You are worthy and you are wonderful. So receive these gifts and then use them to bless others in the name of Jesus and to spread the glory of your good gospel, that Jesus lives, that Jesus loves. We pray in his name. Amen. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. Oh 
God, you reign over this place. You reign over this universe. Every, all creation sings your name. You can move mountains with the words that you say. You know the stars and you call them by name. You know every hair on my head and you know my heart. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. I appreciate that song, and Adam, your prayer too. You know, as we sing that song, God, you reign, I mean, there are really a couple very practical applications, you know, as you think about walking in today and what it means for your life. To say that God reigns means 
that he is in control, even if it doesn't feel like it. You know, for some of you, the new year maybe hasn't started off too well, and, you know, your faith is feeling a little rocky. And God, you reign over my life in good times and bad times, right? God reigns all the time, not just when things are good. And so it's a statement of reality. And then it's also an invitation. To say that God, you reign, means that, God, you are Lord over my life, and so you need to reign over every aspect of my life. There's nothing I'm going to keep from you. And that, you know, that thought really sets up well the series that we're starting. As I mentioned last week, today, we are kicking off a four-week series simply entitled Money 101, where we're going to look at the basics when it comes to the Bible and money. Our goal for this series is to talk about some foundational building blocks that we can all learn about and put into place when it comes to everyday money matters like spending and saving and borrowing and giving. Principles that are going to apply for all of us regardless of our age, our stage of life, and our financial condition. Now, I realize that if our goal was just to raise our financial IQ and to sharpen some of our money management skills, there are many alternatives out there that can do a far better job than I can, really. I mean, whether it's formal education, online classes, weekend seminars, meeting with an investment advisor, even just sitting down and watching a bunch of YouTube videos, right? There are a lot of people out there with a whole lot of financial smarts, right? So I'm, I'm not the expert. I mean, think about it. If I was so good at this money thing, would I really be here in January in the land of ice and snow and sub-freezing temperatures? I mean, not that I don't like you guys, but 85 and sunny sounds pretty good, you know, right about now. But, you know, seriously, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here because this is an important issue to talk about, because we saw last Sunday, the Bible makes it clear that how we handle our money is about much more than just money. It really is. Money intersects with our priorities in life. Money intersects with the contentment we experience. Money intersects with the impact we leave on this world. And money intersects with our faithfulness to Jesus' greatest commandment of loving God and loving others. See, biblical instruction about money has both practical implications as well as pastoral implications. It's not just how we live, but how well we live. Think about the very words of Jesus who said that you can gain the whole world and amass untold amounts of wealth and yet in the process lose your very own soul. And so in this series, we'll look at both the practical and the pastoral. We'll talk both about our actions with money, but then also our attitudes about money. Now, before we dive into the specifics for today, I want to first lay the foundation with a few money principles from the Bible that we're going to use not only today, but all throughout this series. And so I want to walk through these principles together first, then we'll get to the specifics of today. See, when it comes to money first, you need to understand that money ultimately belongs to God, all of it. Money ultimately belongs to God, all of it. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. And so a Christian view of money, wealth, and possessions says that all that we have to our name really isn't ours. It's God's. That we're not owners of it, but rather we are stewards or managers 
of it. And that's an important distinction to make because an ownership mindset says it's all mine, so I get to do with it whatever I want to, right? But a stewardship mindset is different because it introduces the concept of accountability, that since it is not ultimately mine but God's, then it means that I have to answer for how I use it. Answer how I use it and even just answer how I think about it too. In other words, I cannot exclude God from this area of my life. Stewards, not owners. And I bring this up because some in the church fall into the trap of thinking that what they give to God, what they tie to the church, you know, that's God's. But the rest of it, well, they can do with it whatever they please. Now, we're going to talk about giving later on in the series, but for now, let's just recognize that there's no split ownership when it comes to money, right? No partial accountability, no tax that we get to pay to God so we can have the rest to ourselves. Now, money, our money ultimately belongs to God, all of it. Then second, money is inherently amoral or neutral, that by itself it is neither good nor evil. Money is neutral. It's amoral. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil, but rather what? 1 Timothy 6. No, it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but a love of money. And I mention this because there are Christians who misinterpret what wealth and poverty really mean. So in some religious circles, there's the thought that being poor makes you closer to God. And then being rich automatically means that you are selfish, you're ungodly, you're worldly. And this shows up sometimes when we compare ourselves with others, right? We might see someone else, the kind of house they live, the kind of car they drive, and we automatically conclude that they are shallow and materialistic and uncaring. Or maybe we, in turn, choose a more simplistic lifestyle out of certain convictions, but then we pat our, ourselves on the back for how well we're doing and how spiritual we are. That is one interpretation, but it's not a biblical one. But then on the other side, there are also those who believe that having more money is a sign of God's blessing in your life, right? There are pockets of American Christianity today that preach a prosperity gospel that equates our wealth with God's favor, our wealth with God's favor, so that if you don't have what you want and need, then it must mean you're disobedient, that you're lacking the kind of faith God wants you to have. But that kind of thinking is off as well. Listen, how much or how little you have does not determine your standing before God and your favor with him. Now, that's solely based on the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Having a lot doesn't make you a better person. Having a little doesn't make you a better person. Person. Money in itself is amoral. And yet we also need to know, third, that money can be a God substitute and keep us from worshiping him. Money can be a God substitute and can be the thing that gets in the way of us worshiping him. So not only is a love of money the root of all kinds of evil, but as Jesus says here, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, it is impossible, no matter how hard you try, to serve both God and money. And so any Christian who is serious about growing in their faith has to pay attention to this verse. You have to. It is a legitimate temptation that we are all susceptible to. And so when you read these words, God's substitute, this is what I, I mean, that everything God promises to be and to do for you, everything, 
Well, guess what? Money makes the same kind of counterfeit promise. So God promises peace, so does money. God promises fulfillment, so does money. God promises joy, so does money. God promises security, so does money, and on and on it goes. Now, the promises that money make, they're hollow promises, they're empty promises, but boy, they are certainly enticing promises, aren't they? And that's the spell that money tries to cast on us. And so while money in itself is amoral, the attitude of our heart toward it and the value we place upon it, it can easily take the place of God in our life. Money can be a God substitute. It can keep us from worshiping him. That is the third foundational money principle along with that it all belongs to God and money in itself is neither good nor evil. And I want you to notice that with these three principles, they all have to do with our attitude towards money, right? Our attitude towards money, that what we think, what we feel about money, that those things actually then are going to influence our actions with money. They will. And again, that's going to be true whether we have a lot or a little or somewhere in between. But here's the other part of that. As I've studied the Bible and taught on money throughout, this series, throughout the years, I've also seen that not only do our attitudes about money influence our actions with money, but then by the same token, our actions with money can also shape our attitudes, right? It's this continuous loop of reinforcement. Beliefs affect behavior, but then behavior reinforces beliefs. So take something like worry. Maybe we're worried about money because we believe it's all up to us to take care of ourselves, that no one else is looking out for us. We're on our own to provide for our needs. And so we're driven by this anxiety. We start saving up. We stockpile. We hoard thinking that the more we have, the less we'll worry. And yet we know, don't we, whether personally or watching other people, that accumulating a bunch of stuff doesn't automatically take away the worry. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, that kind of obsessive behavior only reinforces the worry. And so some of you here today who don't have a lot and you're worried about money, you need to know that there are plenty of people that you would consider well off who can't sleep at night because they're anxious about their wealth. Sure, they have it today, but what about tomorrow? And even with all they have right now, is it really going to be enough? Our attitudes about money influence our actions with money, but then in turn those actions with money also shape our attitudes about it. And this cycle, it can work against us, but it also can work for us. So yes, we can spiral down the black hole of worry, but we can also turn that around. We can build up good and godly beliefs and behaviors when it comes to what we have, what we want, and what we need. And so my hope for all of us in this series so we'll let the Spirit of God speak to us through the Word of God. And that's going to both direct our attitudes, but also motivate our actions when it comes to money. So that's the foundation. And with all that in place, I want to go ahead and give you our roadmap for the next four weeks. Simple, straightforward, here it is. Four weeks, money 101, spend, save, borrow, give, right? Four words, four themes, four concepts. 
Spending today, saving next week, borrowing after that, and then finishing up with giving on the final Sunday of this series. And every week with each of these themes, we're going to intersect those with the foundational principles we looked at, right? God owns it all. Money is amoral, but money can be a God substitute and keep us from worshiping him, right? To look at those and say, okay, what does that mean? And then how does that influence both our attitudes and our actions? Money 101. So let's go ahead and let's look at the first of our topics in this series, spending. Spending, how does God want us to think about our spending and what are specific things we can do with it to grow as Christians to carry out God's will for our lives? Well, for starters, we all need to spend money, right? Can we just like agree that we all need to spend money to live, to survive, to exist? Spending money and making those kind of decisions, I mean, it's something we all have to face. I mean, I guess you can go off the grid, right? Live off the land, hole up in some cabin in Oregon or something, you know, I I don't know. But, you know, for most of us, we've got to make choices. We have a limited pie of only so much, and we have to make decisions about how to slice up that pie, how to spend that money, and where it goes, So the question is, does it really make a difference how we spend our money? What's the best way to do it? And then more specifically, for those of us who consider ourselves as Christians, who acknowledge Jesus' lordship over our lives, how does all that influence our decisions? And I realize that when you get into this territory talking about spending money, it can get pretty personal and touchy, right? Because we all have thoughts and opinions, on the best way to spend and manage our money. And it's okay if we live our own lives by those, but the minute we begin to share that with others, we begin to impose our values and critique their choices and suggest ways they could do it better, well, that's when everything blows up, right? I mean, you've heard it said, there are two things that you can never talk about in public, you know, politics and religion. Well, let me give you two more, right? Telling people how they should spend their money and telling parents how they should raise their children, right? You want to start a fight? You want to end a friendship? Then go there, really. Don't believe me? Try this out for size. Go up to someone you know and say, you know, you really need to do a better job disciplining your son. That will go over really well. Or how about this? You know, I don't think you should really spend so much on those fancy coffee drinks, right? Yes, and be prepared to have that scalding coffee poured right back in your face, right? These are touchy areas, our money, our kids. We take it so personally. So how then can I begin to talk to you about spending? Well, we'll get to what the Bible has to say for a moment, but I think we need to begin where most people begin when they talk and teach about spending priorities, that how we think about the where, the when, the how of when we spend our money, the first step that we should take, they say, is to think through the difference between our needs and our wants, right? You ever heard that? Think through the difference between your needs and your wants. So the idea is that to get a better handle on your money, you first need to make sure you take care of all your needs before you start spending money on your wants. First the needs, then the wants. Which means then that the reason why so many people get in money trouble is that they spend way too much on their wants so they don't have enough to cover their needs. Makes sense. It's the person who buys very expensive clothing that they can't afford and goes on all these trips that are well beyond their means, right? Now, in a lot of ways, needs before wants is a great principle. It really is. As a matter of fact, the Bible has some very strong language 
about us needing to take care of the essentials. So, for instance, if we are able to work, it is our job, not someone else's, to make sure we have enough to eat. Similarly, if we have a family and we are in this provider role, we have the obligation to cover everyone's basic needs in our family through what we earn and what we spend, and that if we shirk that obligation, the Apostle Paul says, that, quote, we deny our Christian faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Wow, worse than an unbeliever when we, you know, throw off the provider role. So meeting needs before we get to the wants, it is a basic spending principle, but I know what you're thinking, right? All right, I get that concept, but how do you really tell the difference between a need and a want? Well, this is where it gets tricky, right? Owning a car? Is that really a need or could it be a want? Having your own, you know, smartphone and paying for the monthly service, need or want? Going out to eat, running through the drive-thru to grab a meal every now and then, need or a want? And so you've gone through your finances. Maybe you've even tried to go on a budget. You've made a list of all your expenses, and you're really not trying to be extravagant. But even then, the total of all your spending needs is greater than what you make at your job. And so how is first the needs, then the wants supposed to work then, right? Or what if you are able to cover your needs, but there's not much left for your wants? So yeah, you're getting by, but it doesn't feel like much of a life, so what do you do then? Well, in situations like those, I really do think there is a place for getting some practical financial advice to sit down with someone you trust, to have them help you think through your spending priorities. That's why I want to, you know, push the financial conference this Saturday. It's why, you know, I'd also encourage the Financial Peace University classes that we talked about last week that are starting later this month, because there's a place for all of us to grow in our knowledge and our skill when it comes to handling our finances. But having said all that, even if you do make all these positive changes spending-wise, you're still only addressing half the equation, aren't you? Only half. Yes, you are improving your money actions, but what about your money attitude, how you think, what you feel about money? Remember the loop, right? It's not just the actions, it's also the attitudes. And this is where the wisdom of Scripture comes in, because I think the bigger problem we run into with our spending doesn't have to do with our actions. Rather, it has to do with our attitudes. Think about this. You can figure out on paper the difference between your needs and your wants when it comes to your spending priorities, and you may have a list of what comes first, but what's going on inside of your heart? What is your heart really telling you what you need that's the spiritual side of money, and it goes back really to those foundational money principles that we talked about earlier, especially the third one, right? The temptation of money to replace God in your life. Because money is going to try to convince you that you need something other than God to lead a meaning, meaningful and happy life. And the name of this temptation is called greed, and greed tells us that the cure to what? To our sadness, to our discontentment, to our restlessness, to our loneliness, to our lack of fulfillment, to any other unpleasant thing we're feeling, that the cure is just one more purchase away, that the thing we really need deep down is the thing we do not have. If I only had this blank, then my life would be better. So you may have gone through the exercise of labeling certain things as wants, right, and decided that in your head, but the stronger force is what's going on deep down when your heart is telling you it is really a need and that you can't live without it. And so while people might joke about things like retail therapy or, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough goes shopping, things like that, there really is something about the temptation of greed, about wanting more, 
It's real, it's powerful, it's a temptation that cannot be taken lightly. That's why the Bible addresses greed in multiple places. But none more directly than the very words of Jesus, who says this in Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 15. Pay attention. Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus tells us plainly what to do. We need to watch out. We need to be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because greed can trip you up and greed can take you down. It can and it will. Paul calls it in Scripture a snare, a trap, like a bear trap that keeps us in bondage. That's why Jesus follows the warning then with this essential truth that everyone in here needs to take to heart. Why do we need to watch out? Why do we need to be on our guard? Because the truth is that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Say that with me. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And when Jesus talks about life, he's not just talking about mere biological existence. No, the life he's addressing has to do with much deeper existential needs like meaning and purpose and fulfillment, right? What is it that truly makes a quality life? And so Jesus bluntly confronts the lie that greed wants us to believe that the more I have, the better my life will be. And so if you're feeling discontent, if you're feeling unfulfilled, greed will come up to you and whisper in your ear the reason you're feeling so miserable is that you don't have this certain thing or that you don't have enough of it, that all you need is a little more. But it's a lie. It's a false promise. It is a contradiction of the truth that Jesus lays out clearly that life, real life, true life, what your heart is longing for. It's not going to consist and an abundance of possessions. And so when it comes to our spending, this is really the front lines of the battle, right? Because if we can really embrace Jesus' words, you know, in our heads, in our hearts, then it's going to get to the root of some of our toxic money attitudes. And when we get to the root there, then it's going to change some of our dysfunctional money actions, See, you can lay out a budget, you can have the best personal finance system put into place, but if your heart isn't convinced that what Jesus says here is true for you, then I guarantee that you are going to sign up for a lifetime filled with cycles of success, then failure, success, then failure. You won't be able to stick to it. Greed's going to obliterate any and every money management plan you're going to try to put into place. So it begins with this truth, but it doesn't stop there. Saying no to greed, saying no to the belief that more money equals a better life, that's a great place to start, but it's not going to be enough to sustain you for the long haul. Because whether it has to do with money or anything else, the answer isn't just saying no, but it's also saying yes, right? Nature abhors a vacuum, and if you try to uproot greed from your heart without replacing it with something else, it's only going to be a matter of time before you fall back into thinking that life maybe really does consist in an abundance of possessions. So what's the cure for greed? What do you need to put in its place? Well, the short answer is worship. It's putting God first in your life and pursuing him daily with all of your heart. See, the powerful temptation of greed in your life needs to be replaced with something stronger, and that something stronger is none other than Jesus himself, Jesus who is the way, Jesus who is the truth, and Jesus who is what? Who is the life. 
Jesus, not just the key to that initial moment of our salvation and forgiveness, but Jesus, the person we need every single moment of every single day. And the more we know and follow Jesus, the more we're going to discover and continue to experience that he is the life that our hearts are longing for. And so maybe the most important money change you need to make today doesn't have to do with budgets and bank accounts. Rather, it has to do with worship and devotion, that maybe your first step in getting your financial picture back under control begins with church. Let today be the day that you come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, or maybe it's coming back to Jesus and following him again with all of your hearts. See, when you can address your money attitude, then it's going to make the choices about your money actions easier, and those actions are then going to be more likely to stick and succeed. And then the cycle's going to continue that as you're making these choices, as you're changing your actions, then right and worshipful attitudes of your heart are only going to be further reinforced. That's how long, real, lasting change is going to happen when it comes to our spending priorities. So we talked a lot about attitude and spending attitude. It's important, the challenge of battling greed and replacing that with passionately and proactively pursuing worship. But as I begin to wind things down, I want to finish with some thoughts about our spending actions, right? How do we get practical about this? And I realize we've got a you know, full spectrum of financial situations represented in this room. Some of you are doing really well. Some of you are really hurting. Some of you are just somewhere in between. So I don't think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all solution that I can give to you when it comes to our spending. But if I've got to leave you with one thought, one specific action point, one piece of homework, this is what I want to tell you. That starting today, and all throughout this week, or even better, this month, I want you to track your spending. Track your spending, all of it. Write it down, everything you spend, even the smallest amount, jot it down. You can use a pen and a paper, you can use a computer spreadsheet, you can use an app on your smartphone. I don't care how you write it down, just do it. Listen, if you don't know how you're spending your money, if you don't know where it's going, then it's going to be really hard to change and improve your situation. So why is it so important to track your spending? Well, there are several reasons, but let me give you a couple big ones. Here's the first. That tracking your spending is the first step in you controlling your spending rather than your spending controlling you. You controlling your spending rather than your spending controlling you. Listen, if you're not careful, it's so easy to feel helpless to play the victim when it comes to our finances. So that when things get tough, we just throw up our hands and say, I can't help it. I don't have a choice. There's nothing I can do. But the fact is, there are always some things you can do. Not all of our spending is mandatory. Some of it is discretionary. We do have choices when it comes to our spending, and tracking it helps us get a grip on what those choices are and what exactly we're dealing with. You won't be able to pay your bills. You won't be able to reach your goals if you don't know what your starting point is, and tracking your spending helps you understand what your starting point is. That's why it's important to track the spending. But even beyond that, I think maybe even a bigger reason to track your spending is this. Now, tracking your spending makes you accountable and forces you to take responsibility. Makes you accountable with your own life, the choices that you make, and it forces you to take responsibility. 
See, some of you here don't want to do it because you don't want to know the truth. Now, you won't admit it. You'll say things like, well, I'm too busy or I'm not really good at that kind of money stuff, something like that. But the real issue is you don't want to face reality because deep down you're afraid of what you're going to find out. But here's the thing. If you can't be accountable with yourself, how can you live an accountable life before God? Now, I don't want to be naive. I'm sure that there are many here who have dug themselves into some pretty deep money holes and you feel like giving up. But you and I know that ignoring a problem doesn't make it go away. You know, in a new year, and maybe this thing that you've been putting off so long, this is the time you face it, because the good news is this. You're not alone. Scripture says that God is with you always, and that the perfect love of God drives out, it casts out all fear. God's with you in this. Not only that, but God always rewards us when we take a step in faith towards the truth. He does, always. God rewards us when we take a step of faith toward the truth. Now, is that step going to be hard? Yes, no question, but is it going to be worth it? Absolutely. You are not in this alone. And so back to what I said earlier. Here's the assignment that's starting today, all throughout this week, and even better this month. I want you to track your spending, all of it. It'll make you conscious of the purchases you're making. It'll make you think twice about the money you're plunking down for something you might not really need. It'll put you in a position to have some positive financial changes in your life, and it's going to keep you on guard against all kinds of greed. That's your homework. Now, if you are an overachiever and you want to take it further, there's some other things you can do as you're tracking your spending. Take what you're, you're learning and make a budget or maybe refine a budget to better reflect where you are. Or maybe you identify an area of spending that you know, you're seeing that maybe feels to you out of control and you're going to make some choices, conscious choices, to do some things a little differently in this one area. Not the whole thing, just this one area, right? Or if you're married and you're really courageous, you'll talk with your spouse about what the two of you discover during this exercise. And then as you talk, you listen to the other person as you decide together the kind of changes you want to make. There are a lot of ways you can go with this, but the first step for all of us as we track is to face reality and accept responsibility. And along the way, I just want to encourage you to pray over this and through the process as you do this and invite God to be a part of it because he really wants to be there with you. Money 101. This is the first of our four Sundays. Next week, we'll talk about both the attitudes and the actions when it comes to spending or saving money. I'm also going to encourage you again. Just would love to have you here this Saturday for a financial conference. Go by the adult's desk to sign up or to just learn more about it. But, you know, above all else, even beyond getting your financial house in order, I want everyone here to know and follow Jesus, right? I do. That really is the heart behind this Money 101 series, right? It's about money, but it's about more than just money. But see, here's what I also know about knowing and following Jesus. I know that the direction of our life is determined by the decisions we make. The direction of our life is determined by the decisions we make, and that includes even the, the seemingly small decisions, right, every day that we make, like how we spend our money. 
makes a difference. And so today, this week, as you seek to follow Jesus, take a step. Make a change and let God lead you every step of the way. Let's pray together. God, you reign. You reign over this church. You reign over our lives. And today, Lord, I sense, we sense, is the invitation for you to reign over every area of our lives, including our financial area, our our money situation, right? For some of us, it's the cluttered closet that we don't want to open the door to because we're afraid of what we're going to find. But thank you that your grace, your truth, invite us to have the courage to do that, to take a step, to take a first step, and that you're with us in that. God, thank you that you remind us about what is true. That life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, even though, you know, media and advertising just wants to tell us that what we need is what we don't have. And so thank you for speaking truth into our hearts, truth that invites us to the life, the true life, the real life, the eternal life that is found in Jesus alone, and that as we pursue him in worship, We're not only fighting against greed, but we're making choices and decisions and money actions that help us grow as followers of Jesus. And Father, it's exciting to think that as individual decisions and changes are made all throughout this congregation, what that means for us as a church and the kind of impact we can have on our world for you for your glory and the good of others. And so, God, we're excited about where this is going to lead us, but may we just take this journey with the first step, the next step that you've called us and showed us. So we do that, Lord, by faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together.
temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord I need you It's a great song to wrap up our day together, and I love that line that, you know, it's like it's written for the message in this series. Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. It's not just enough to say no to temptation, but we also say yes to worshiping the one true God. So next week, we'll talk about saving money, but as you go from here, may you go in the grace of God, for he is your one defense and your righteousness. God bless you.